maybe some people pass really well. Like mm-hmm. some people, like Mariah Carey was passing when she first came out. Oh shit. They marketed her like a white woman. Yeah. They did. Like all over, like everything in terms of media, all that stuff. Like, oh, this white girl can sing. No, she was black. And then when she dropped Honey, people were like, oh yeah, she is black. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, when she when she left Tommy Mottola, everybody was like, oh yeah, she's black. But yeah, Mariah Carey, like when they first, when she first came out, because think about it. At the time she came out, she what, was 90? in... One, two, early nine, early nineties, and at the time, you know, it was still a very narrow space for people in pop culture. So, mm-hmm. who was the biggest singer in the world that was like pop R and B? Whitney Houston. Houston. So, obviously, if they had another black singer that could sing in that same those big ballads Range, and stuff, yeah. yeah, it was not gonna work. So, they automatically pitched her as a younger, hipper, white washed version of Whitney because huh. think about it after that then Celine Dion came on but Celine Dion was Canadian and Celine French Dion? Celine Dion was Canadian and French and she was singing like all these like very like operatic like mm. ballads but Mariah was singing like songs that Whitney would be on the radio with like they were going pound for pound on the radio right. so it was it was a very like interesting world when you think about like the very narrow lane people could be in at the time. Like when you think about it, like even when you look at radio, like uh, I mean they think grunge rock or whatever. It was Pearl Jam and Nirvana. There really wasn't mm-hmm. any other bands in that pool. That I mean, you could name a lot of other bands, but in terms of mainstream, everyone all over the news, right. all over MTV. Getting like front and center, it was like mostly the two bands, which was Pearl Jam and Nirvana. You know what I mean? Those are those, those just like two Pac and Biggie leading the pack, just like Pac and Biggie type things mm-hmm. in hip hop. So you look at like it's way more broad now because I just think with social media and the fact that everybody's fan base is just all over the place. But I think MySpace really changed the ability for uh, a smaller band to get access to a larger audience. I think the internet, all the, I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, social media definitely. Now, uh, now the big thing I would say is probably like SoundCloud, mm-hmm. even though I am not a SoundCloud user. But MySpace music was, was huge, mm-hmm. huge. So anyway, are we recording or no? Oh yeah. Oh, we have been? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. I like to just let it. Let it run. Run. And Good. We can, well, as we long, chop and start. Chop, chop and Okay. So, <laughs> it'd be like that sometimes. Welcome to the Slip In Podcast with Thomas Massaquai, executive produced by Tyler Lagali. We have no sponsors right now. No, I'm joking. So, um, no, you're not joking. We have, I, no, we have right no sponsors now. right now because this is, we're in the infancy. Those things are still de- being negotiated. I did notice we're both wearing our um, signature beanies today. Toboggans, yes. Toboggan toques. Yes. Up north. Yes, because I like Jacques Cousteau and the. You got your red one. I've got my just standard little floppy gray one. Mm. I pulled this out of storage last week, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's cold. I should use this." It's only gonna be cold for what? Maybe what? Four or five more weeks here, maybe. That's too many. Maybe nah, four, dude, five we're gonna weeks. go back and forth with that like eighty degrees we had two days ago because mm. it was what seventy five. And the low the day before was 30. Yeah. So we just got to, like, have those struggle days of cold 
because I personally hate being cold. Mm, I love the cold. I would Not the freezing hot. cold. No. But I enjoy the cold because you can rock layers. See, it's 40, which I don't mind, but it's windy, mm. which I do mind. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting with the weather, how it fluctuates. But then I, I guess I notice that people in other parts of the world they either have they either keep their clothes out consistently mm-hmm. because of the climate or they have real seasons. Here we don't. Like you literally keep your clothes here out year round because right. you never know. Like years ago in May we had a f- freak ice storm. And I remember I was in Barnes and Noble, not a plug, but I was in Barnes and Noble <laughs> and I saw a girl wearing Ugg boots, not a plug, and I was like, "Huh. She's wearing Ugg boots in May and I looked back outside and I was like, oh, but there's ice. And I snow. mean, you can, girls here in where we're from can wear Ugg boots literally up until late May, June, July. But once middle of August rolls around, you start seeing them back on feet. Yeah, or cowboy boots. Oh, cowboy boots are you With around. shorts, with short shorts. Well, with shorts. Because it goes into that season where they're getting mm-hmm. on boats and going to outdoor concerts and they're doing the peace sign in there. New boot scooting. New boot scooting. You know, everybody has their thing. Everybody has their thing. So you got to live your best life. Well, today's topic is sexy discounts. Now, I had a whole series for years called the Sexy Discount Chronicles on my <laughs> social media platforms in which I would tell true stories that happened to me that got me a sexy discount. So what is a sexy discount? Yeah, because I what know. Is it, We've talked about this. we talked about this. And what is the origin of the sexy discount? I would like to thank my good friend, Paul Green, who is English, and how he initiated this sexy discount conversation. So we were at a cantina and we were meeting up for lunch because at the time he was living here in the U.S. And we went to place an order. I was ahead of him. I got my order. And then I moved over to the side. He went up. He opened his mouth. And the lady was like, what? Where? Where are you from? And he was like, I'm from England. And then she goes, oh, here you go. Here's a free drink with your order. (laughs) And he looks at me and he winks and he goes, sexy discount. And I was like, huh? What is this? And he was just like, oh, I just get a discount for being sexy. We call it sexy discount. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mother, I want a sexy discount. So then at that point, maybe I'd already been receiving it. Maybe I hadn't. But then at that point, I was like, what can I do to get these sexy discounts? Right. So it was either let me make sure I smell good. Let me make sure I say the right words. Let me make sure I have great, good behavior, things along those lines. And then just also me being myself, things just started manifesting. And then it actually became great comedic stories. Some people (laughs) didn't believe these sexy discount occurrences were occurring. And so we went out together or we were out in public together and they were like, oh, shit, this actually is happening. Because some of these people you just can't make up. I don't know if it's the fact that people are just boisterous feeling themselves, the energy, I don't know, but it's, we call mm-hmm. it sexy discounts. And then at, at this point, 
other friends, other people have now rolled sexy discounts into their other into their spheres right. and ecosystem. So we can share stories of sexy discounts. If you know well, someone that has had a sexy discount, discuss it amongst yourselves. Because right now we are not taking calls. But <laughs> no, I. So I was introduced to this similarly with a British friend. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a guy that I went to college with, and we both waited at the same um, Tex-Mex restaurant. Mm-hmm. And for anybody outside of Texas, there is a wild difference between Mexican food and Tex-Mex. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex is the spicier of the two. Mm-hmm. But so we're both waiting one night. It's like a Friday night. And he gets this like six top of middle-aged women. They're out for a girl's night. And I'm standing at the table beside his as he approaches and this dude, his name was David. Anytime, any conversation we've ever had for the year that I had known him, he sounded just like me. But he walks up to, to that table and he goes, hello, ladies. How are we doing today? And I was like, I'm doing a bad British accent right now. But this thick, robust British accent comes out of his mouth. Flawless. And they're, they all start ooing and aahing and giggling. And I run into him. Ten minutes later, we're back in the kitchen. And I go, what was that? And he's back to normal. He's like, what was what? I was like, that accent. He's like, I'm British, Tyler. I was like, you never speak British. He goes, yeah, because I don't want people talking to me and asking me stupid questions about my accent. And I go, so why the table? And he goes, I'll show you at the end. And so after he cleans the table off, he comes off. He comes up to me. All of the checks that those ladies wrote, 30% tip. Not a standard 20. Not a... Okay-ish 15, 30% across the board. He was like, this gets me, this gets me a little extra. And that's when I was like, oh, there's this thing when you present yourself in a way that is above. Or exotic. Or exotic. Gets you a little step ahead. True. Because you know, I, I mean, it's, it's, I've seen it happen before. If you're going to oh. show up to a store in just, you know. Dirty sweatpants and some like stained Tweety Bird pajama top, and you're disheveled, and you're not very personable. You're gonna pay whatever, whatever the price tag of those jeans or shirt or whatever you're buying from the store is. But if you look sharp, if you smell good, if you're personable, if you're funny, yeah, you might get a little, little bit of that discount on your, on your check. True, true. It's so funny because a friend of mine, who's also from England, it was quite funny in terms of when we'd go out, we would see different things occurring. So people would completely like not be paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. But the second he opened his mouth, girls were like looking in desperation and excitement. <laughs> and and uh, the one story that kind of made me laugh was when he was talking to one of these girls and you could tell this girl she was really trying to like impress this guy she was like he's from he's from England and you know I don't come across these guys a lot he probably seems cool and honestly my buddy he you know he's he's just a regular person it's not like you know he, he didn't go to Oxford or anything like that but a lot of people when they haven't traveled abroad they assume that everyone is similar 
in certain <laughs> cases and right. us, you know, you know, being from a certain part of the country, you know, people always assume, oh, you're from the state. So everybody in your state acts like this. Everybody mm-hmm. in your state talks like this. And that's really not, not true. Not true. So anyway, um, the girl, she was sitting there and she told him, she goes, have you ever been to the UK? And he looked at her and he said, that's probably the dumbest question you've ever asked me. Because someone, he has that Someone's ever asked me. Yeah, he said, but he said, that's probably the dumbest question someone's ever asked me. And you could tell she felt so small. He's like, that's like me asking you, have you ever been to North America? Right. And she was just kind of like, oh, oh, oh. and she just disappeared. Slunk and, away. Slunk away. And I get it, sis. She was shooting her shot. She was trying. <laughs> sis was trying to shoot her shot. And here's the thing. When girls shoot their shot, that there's a there's there's a lot to be said in that moment, especially when you're talking about women between the ages of like eighteen to maybe twenty five. In that arena, specifically in the Western world, it is a girl's game. She mm-hmm. runs it. She's the one that is like, oh no, you cannot buy me another drink. I'm good. Things along. She's kind of setting the pace for the guy. Does that make sense? It does. But as we get older, especially if they haven't married yet, the shift changes. Mm -hmm. So about after 25, after the, I wouldn't, I don't want to say the princess stage, but after the um, comforts of 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 youth um, shift then you start to see the shift in dynamics in terms of where the guy is more so, um, especially if he's someone that doesn't have kids, especially mm-hmm. if he's someone that is successful, especially if he's, uh, there's not any red flags to him. He normally is holding a lot of the cards because at that point, girls have run through all the assholes. Ironically, I was told once that, not having any kids at my age and not having an ex-wife was a red flag. Well, and I told the girl, you saying that was a red flag is a huge red flag for me. Well, party fact, party fact, many Americans are having fewer children these days. Many Americans Mm -hmm. are actually not getting married at a high rate. So, you are within, let's say, the new batting average of the new normal. This is not something that is a um, a a negative thing. It's just a switch in culture. Right. It's a switch in 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 priorities for society. Uh, so for a lot of people, <clears throat> I think when you're thinking of more traditional lifestyle, that's why they would have these red flags. But in regards to where our society is, and we don't want to get, you know, political, but in just terms of the batting average of where there's so many things going mm-hmm. on in society, it would be understood why somebody that's young or somebody that is of a certain lifestyle is like, I want to think about before I bring a partner into this mix, I want to think before I bring a child into this right. mix. Now, you can't fully plan for everything. You can't um, be 100% on the good. But 
it does say something if you're very aware at the fact that you're like, listen, there's just so much going on right now in my life for me to bring another life into this world Mm -hmm. and maybe responsible for it. Um, for you to be in a dynamic with someone and you not be in the best space for it. That I, I applaud that than for somebody being just a toxic person that's radiating into a young life or um, into somebody else's space that would trigger them or make them feel like, you know, it's, it's the, yeah, trigger them. Um, Anyway, so in regards to those dynamics and you're looking at, like, like I said, the, uh, I feel like we, we kind of jumped off. We did. You were, we so you were saying the, something that I wanted to touch on because you were talking about this power structure, mm-hmm. uh, through age, yeah, male and female. Mm-hmm. And there is in the, and, with, and, and I would say we're talking, we're looking at heterosexual dynamics right now. Okay. Because there's so many different subgroups so i know that sometimes you know because we are now in a more uh diverse society and more open society mm-hmm. we have to also be cognizant of the fact of where there's just not one right way to look at it so right. focusing on what we're saying is that in a heterosexual dynamic go sorry i would say and i think this specific thing should theoretically translate across the board Mm. male and female and every variation we as human beings do mature as we age theoretically you should be maturing so you know when you reach as a male or female your 40s and you may still be in dating phase you may be back into the dating phase or whatever it may be um, I have found that when you date someone in that age range that does have that maturity, they still have that confidence of the the 28-year-old. But there's a lot less of the insecurities, and they know for a fact where certain lines are. And if you cross that line, like, that's it. It's done. Mm-hmm. Whereas a younger person might be like, well, yeah, you cross this line, but, but, but... And they might make excuses for a situation being with somebody, mm-hmm. whether it be a relationship or a business relationship or a mm-hmm. friendship. They might write excuses off and allow themselves to be in a situation that they shouldn't be in. Mm-hmm. Whereas once you hit that maturity level, you go, oh, I have no problem not associating. Yeah. I will sit here and say, like, I have a few theories. Um, and people can feel free to dispute it. One theory is that between the ages of, and I would say more focused again on American society, between the ages of 18 to about 22, 23, every year of your life, something is changing, whether it be maybe a job, whether it be friends, maybe mm-hmm. be relationships. There are so many different things that are occurring and randomly changing at times within that space. I really don't believe you actually begin the ground of adulthood till about maybe 23, 24. You're setting the foundation, but you're working out some of the kinks before you really start building. Your 20s are designed for you to really figure out your boundaries, your yes, your no's, your wants, your desires, your goals, the things that you want to go after, 
um, things along those lines. By the time that you're in your 30s, you should have worked out a lot of the foundational kinks of your adulthood. Meaning, mm-hmm. like, if you can't figure out how to get money, you should have worked that out in your 20s. You literally, when you think about the time frame, you have 10 years to really give yourself. And some people, they're given a lot of cushion room within those 10 years, whether it be support from their parents, whether it be a long time in college, whether it be, you know, um, not having to have as much responsibilities, you know, a, a good social group, things along those lines. But your 20s is really where you start to, where you want to establish the foundation of your adulthood. By the time you're in your 30s, it's almost like you really start to enjoy that, all, all of the stuff you got through and worked out mm-hmm. in your 20s. It's almost like you, yes, it was frustrating. Yes, you probably had some tears. Yes, you probably had some victories. Yes, you had some, you know, some moments of letdown. But you look back on that past decade as a lesson. And I don't know how other people move, you know, but I know I wouldn't want to go back to my 20s. That is not that is not a space that I'm trying to go back to. Um, I'm not going to age myself, but like I said, if, we have been, I've been out of my twenties for a while. Right. So here's a question that I've, I've heard multiple times over the years. And I always thought it was interesting. If you could go back to an age, might be seven, might be 14, might be 19, might be 25. But if you could go back and live your life from that age forward, with every piece of knowledge you've accrued to today, would you do it? The humble version of myself would say no. <laughs> the silent version of myself would say, do it. Do it. And get those motherfuckers. <laughs> um, because I was the kind of child that questioned everything. I was the kind of kid that had an imagination. Mm-hmm. I was also the kid that sometimes didn't really fit in in a lot of different groups. I would say that I wasn't consistently popular, right. if at all. And it was like, it was a fluctuation of just so many different things occurring. Um, it was so many different things happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Whether it be social, economic, cultural, backgrounds, all those things um, fell into that mix. Anyway, so for me, I feel like a lot of time I felt misunderstood. And I think that in numerous areas of life, I don't want to blame the teachers and the adults that were around me what i will say is that because they came from a different era too as well we don't they don't have the tools that in the in the in the in the know with all that i feel like a lot of the adults that are now maybe instructing our kids have in terms of resources how many teachers how many math teachers told you you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket every day of your life you got to know this. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's you know, you look at even the types of discussions they had mm-hmm. with us as kids. You know, it's, it's, it's way different. But back then, 
one of those things is that boys will be judged on their content of what they were writing and girls be judged on their penmanship. Right. So boy one would be told, oh, great content in what you're writing about, even though he had horrible handwriting. But the girl, she could be saying roses and daisies and sunsets. And they'd be like, beautiful penmanship, beautiful penmanship. And it was the, I would say the society at the time in terms of what they were looking at. Even your names sometimes would have educators investing in kids differently. So if you had a certain, if your name was complicated to say, or if you had, um, uh, and I don't want to throw names out there that people be like, that's my name. Why would I, I you know, but just several case studies Mm -hmm. that occurred um, of where certain names were seen more favorable in regards to whether it be corporate America, honors classes, teachers, reviews, things along those lines. So. No, I've read reports where they specifically say, if you have a um, classical ethnic based name, if this is, if your family is from another country and you were given a classic name from that country instead of John, Ashley, something along those lines, yeah, teachers in school, um, college admission, um, hiring processes for um, companies, they all look at you differently just from the name that's on the paper as opposed to your accomplishments and your ability. Overwhelmingly. That's why, you know, my parents are immigrants, but the, at most immigrant homes, they always say, what's your, what's your cultural name and what's your American name? Mm-hmm. Everybody had an American name. And I, I, I can't speak for all of us, but I would say a lot of us, just based on the conversations that we had, just based on the way um, that what we've gone through and what we've experienced with a lot of my friends that were, you know, first generation, we all went through the phase, especially when you're talking about late eighties, nineties, right. Before the whole pride thing really kicked in like mm-hmm. an overdrive, like it is now in today's society. A lot of us, we were sometimes having to deal with both sides of where this is my culture, but then I also have these American friends. And then even if you were like, the minority, like if there were like, if you were the only, um, uh, whether it be African or Indian or, you know, um, Asian, right. A kid in your, in your friend group, you know, it was one of those things. And when you had a, a guy named like Mike and Billy and Josh and da, 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 and then you got to your name and it was like either a name that didn't fit into the mix. It was you didn't feel like you were a part of the collective, if that right. makes sense, this collective, yeah. this collective. Um, and you spent a lot of time with your schoolmates. So it is one of those things of where you kind of wrestled with the fact. And I know a lot of, a lot of, my, a lot of my friends and cousins are going to take shots at me. But they, we all went through phases where we all, like, at one point gave ourselves American names. And every one of our parents had to look at us sometimes when they would, like, especially when you're talking about, like, early growing up. Because we'd be like, oh, we love so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And parents were like, who's so-and-so? And then they would say, oh, so-and-so. And then people were like, and the parents were just like, oh, that's your name here? 
you know? <laughs> and you're talking about we would come up with names that were not even close to the names that were on our, like, birth, birth, chart, certificate, yeah, birth yeah. certificates, things along those lines. So... It's 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 funny because like I said, some of some of it was to just get by, so it wasn't mm-hmm. difficult for you. Some of it was for you to feel, you know, a part of it. I know things are a lot different now for um, kids that are either first generation American or have um, different unique names and things along those lines. That you know, we, we're more open to to that. Right. Um, but yes, there is a. a study that there are names for people that sometimes if it's complicated to say or if it looks too difficult or if they feel like for some employers too ethnic they they may skip over that name and go to the person that has more of a eurocentric style name or a name that they're more familiar to using whereas all these as we continue to get more diverse and different um industries i think that will lower because people are already used to maybe seeing those cultural names because all these people from different backgrounds are working within this company now right so but when you but that's what i think you know the goal is is to try to offer more understanding for people and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so anyway that's where we're at. And I don't think we're talking about sexy discounts anymore, but that's what off. it is. We did get off. But that's what happens when you're talking a general discussion Slipped podcast. into another conversation. We slip into so many different conversations. I will. Them. So I was thinking about this when you told me the topic the other day. And I was just trying to go back through my experiences and any quote unquote sexy discounts I've gotten. Mm-hmm. And what I found is um, I get more when I travel. So... I have a, as I'm speaking right now, um, there's a little bit of an accent here, mm-hmm. but I, I did um, modeling and acting training when I was a teenager, and they taught us, if you want jobs, be able to do accents, mm-hmm. but if you want a job, don't have an accent. Mm-hmm. So they, they basically teach you how to like have a neutralized, middle, Amer- uh, you know, middle of nowhere, as plain of an accent as possible enunciate every syllable every letter um but when i go out when i travel and i've been to i've visited california like four or five times Mm -hmm. in my life and especially if i'm drinking my texas accent will come out and i'll start to have that southern drawl and you know yes ma'am no ma'am yes sir things like that and so I specifically remember being at a bar in Los Angeles. And of course the bartender was attractive. It's Los Angeles. You'll find attractive people at McDonald's because they're just waiting to, they need a job before they get that big break in acting or music or whatever they're doing. So I went up and I ordered a couple of beers, uh, one for me and one for my friend. And the girl was like, Oh my God, I love your accent. Where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from, I'm from Dallas and, uh, chatted for a couple minutes. And I said, what do I owe you? And she said, nothing. These are on me. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Hmm. I've also noticed. Yeah. Anywhere in, in America that doesn't have an accent, if I go there and either my Texas accent comes out or I'm just messing around, I do some Southern accent cause I like to, <laughs> I like to mess with people. Mm. 
And so, especially when I had like a very customer facing retail job where I knew this person would never see me again. Mm-hmm. Um, they spoke first and they had an accent. I had this game where I would slowly slide into their accent mm-hmm. away from my own. And by the end, it was so subtle, like most of the time they didn't notice, but one person was like, you didn't have that accent when we started talking. I was like, oh, you got me. <laughs> you got me, man. You, you, uh, you rang my bell. Yeah, I think when I'm speaking with people, often their first question is, where are you from? Now, depending on their background, mm-hmm. it could be low-key some other bullshit. But right. a lot of the time, they're like, oh, where are you from? And I'll normally tell them where I'm from. And they're like, oh, you don't sound like you're from there. And I'm no. like, you know, I was born and raised, but I, you know, have been out in these streets mm-hmm. for a few years. I'm like, oh, well, that explains it. That explains it. That makes sense. And well, like, I, wasn't, I wasn't born here, but I grew mm-hmm. up here. Mm-hmm. And I learned to read and write here. Mm-hmm. You know, the vast majority of my life was here. So when people say, like, where are you from? I, this is where I tell them. Mm-hmm. I don't say the place I was born because mm-hmm. I lived there for four years before we moved. Hmm. So I've gotten that same question partially because every now and then there's a syllable or I'll use a word that is not the local dialect. I don't say Coke. I say soda. I say Coke. But, but I've said Coke meaning Dr. Pepper. But people you know, know here what fucking Coke means. Right. Like when you say Coke, they're like Sprite or Coke. Oh, orange soda. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever, yeah. You're going, whatever yeah. your your soda is. Yeah. But for the longest time, I was saying soda. And people were like, are you from up north? And I was like, what? Oh, people say pop. I'm like, pop. Oh, pop. That's another you one. want some pop? No offense to people in the Midwest, but it's just always, I had an uncle that would always be like, you want some pop? And I'm like, Ugh, pop. I also say y'all. Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to say y'all. But there's places that say you all. You all. Or use guys. You all know that's all y'all. All y'all. If it's if it's a large plural, y'all, it's all y'all. Or you use guys. It depends on where you're from. Use guys. Use guys, yes. Shout out to the East Coast. <laughs> Shout out to the East Coast. I mean, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but So let me ask you this on the topic. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting sexy discounts, what are the things that you can do in your life to become the person that will get a sexy discount? <laughs> I would sit there and say, be genuine, be genuine, you know, sometimes just being a conversation starter, everybody has, the, everybody has their thing when they go out. I feel like the more you're, I wouldn't say out in these streets, the more you're social, the more you find your own lane and the, the broader your friend circle is, mm-hmm. the more diverse they are, the healthier they are the more you find your foundation of of what your lane is within that dynamic when you go out everybody has a lane when they go out right and some people really go into that lane and things just boom bang pow go great and some people are just like oh i'm just here and if you're the silent friend that's cool but if you're the silent friend, you go out with the friend that's always going to remember, let me point you to the silent friend so that way we can bring you back into the right. mix. You bring the friend, you have that friend that's like the charismatic one that can draw people in. 
you know, so everybody plays, they, they call playing your position. Mm-hmm. I always know what my, my position is on the team. I know a lot of people don't, but I know what my position is always on the <laughs> team. So you're never going to catch me confused. I know where to go, dip, sit back, mind my business, maybe call attention to the situation, get us out of a situation, cut a person off. If we got to put hands on somebody, mm-hmm. you know, all those things fall into my wheelhouse. I'm a say less type person. So, but I do know that in order for people to maybe experience a sexy discount, I say find your lane and, and, and let it shine. Some of it, it may be the way, and sexy discounts isn't just based on how you look. It's based on mannerisms or things that you may do. It may be the way you drink coffee. It may be the way you shake someone's hand. It may be the way you smell. It may be the way you say things. It may be... Uh, the way you walk there's so many different things it's not just based on you being attractive because in most cases that i've experienced i said that uh, well i've experienced the sexy discount has just been on behaviors mannerisms and characteristics nothing to do with like how i physically look because Mm -hmm. i don't consider myself to be i said this all the time I'm not going to be the sexiest person in the room, but I will always be the most interesting person in the room. That is my lane. I will. I already know my wheelhouse. Right. I will never be the sexiest person in the room because some people, they're just cute. Let them have it. But I will always be the most interesting person. Motherfucker, you will remember me past everybody <laughs> else in this room, whether you like to or not. And it's not because I'm going to sit there and just be all up in your shit. It's just that, again, I'm... You know, I'm just living my best life here. Right. So I think a, a lot of people settle on the one dimensional thing. So they or they come to a space of just offering like, mm, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Be interesting. Be able to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, I've you know, I've had a friend that. I took from one friend group. To a completely different friend group. And it was like this. these, these are bar friends, Right. We go to the bars, we drink beer, we watch sports or whatever. And then I happened to introduce them to a group that was more of the, oh, I'm not going to say bougie, but a little upper class than going to bars and drinking beers. Mm, So you silo your friends, huh? Not always. But this was a lesson I learned because I probably just picked the wrong one to be like, hey, I'm going out. Do you want to go out with me? Mm. Because they... Normally, when it's like we're watching sports or, or whatever, mm-hmm. they're out there. You know, they're they're a vocal part of the group. Mm-hmm. And I bring them around this other group, and they're just like quiet and uncomfortable and not like putting themselves out there. And so it was interesting to see that massive dynamic shift just because this person got out of their comfort zone and couldn't adapt to a new comfort zone. Which I always find when I'm like forced into a, a zone that is not something I'm used to, that's when I shine. Mm-hmm. That's when I can be like, okay, I gotta like, I gotta be proactive and, you know, show who I am and be part of this instead of just being like a wallflower sitting back. Now there's times where I will be like, I'm not doing this. I'm just gonna be the silent friend tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's been plenty of those times, but yeah, it's interesting to see if somebody can adapt. And still shine through like they normally shine through. Or, as you said, are they that one-dimensional person? Mm-hmm. See, 
you segued into something that I always talk about all the time is people I've noticed a lot of people tend to silo their friends, meaning like this friend compartmentalize them. Yes. Okay. Like they put them in one wheelhouse and they keep them there. That's not how I function. If we are, if you are within my, what I consider my tribe, Mm -hmm. my friend circle, I have a rule that y'all are going to all get to know each other because if I die, which that has happened, but if I actually go through and don't come back and I've been to situations like that where people have pulled up for someone and nobody knew each other. And people were like, who are you? And they're like, I've known this person for five years. Mm -hmm. I've known this person for 10 years. Like, how have we not met? And people are talking, trying to figure out, like, who or if this, you know, and people kind of feel, like, cheated. Because they're like, what was, you start wondering sometimes, like, was was I not cool enough for you to show? Was it me? Was it me? Was it were you? What what, what was going on? So, in my space, (laughs) in my ecosystem, Everyone that I can MySpace topic. Yeah. But but within my (laughs) ecosystem, everyone that I consider a genuine true friend, at some point I feel like I would like for them to cross paths. Because what I I agree. Because I will say this. I can only speak for my friends. I can't speak for other friend groups. But most of my tribe, overwhelmingly, if they've met you before through me and Mm -hmm. they see you out in public, they're gonna acknowledge you. That's a reflection of me. Yeah, but I've been around other people, and I've met them. I met other people through a friend, and we were kicking, and we were laughing, and we were talking, and they're like, "Oh, yada yada yada." And I saw them again in public without that mutual friend, and they acted like they didn't even know who the fuck I was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, that's how we roll." I've also noticed, and that- I feel like sometimes I'm sorry, and no, no offense, but fine. I feel like that's also a reflection of of that mutual friend, like mm-hmm. you know, like. Hmm. Uh, you can't control what other people do. Right. But what I will say is that your friend group heavily um, reflects upon you. So if your tribe or the closest people in your life um, are coming up to bat and they're fucking embarrassing you, like mm-hmm. without you being there, that's that's something to be said at that point. And I was there in youth of where I had a few friends that they embarrassed me maybe once or twice, but they didn't get to a third time. And I'm talking about between either mutual friends or a friend or somebody that I respected. Right. And I remember there was a good story that I had an uh, older friend that me and him would hang out a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was younger than him, but he was like, you know, like an older brother, and we'd be kicking it and hanging out. And I would always try to bring along my friends that were in my peer group to either meet up with us or hang mm-hmm. out with us or whatever. And one day he called me, and it wasn't even like he was angry. He was just real calm. He was just like, hey, man. And I was just like, hey, what's going on? He's like, I just need to talk to you real quick. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's going on? He's like, um, he's like, no disrespect. He's like, there's, there's, uh, and don't take any offense to it. He goes, but if you are having an event or hanging out or doing something with your peer group, don't invite me. And I was like, hmm. He was like, if you want to hang out with me, you want to get lunch, you want to get coffee, me and you, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm down. I'm always going to be down. He's like, but 
you bringing your friends behind you, he was just like, I'm just not in the same wheelhouse with y'all together. He, and, he siloed himself. And I was just like, huh. And at first I was just looking at the situation like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> but then I realized as I got older, because those same people that mm-hmm. I was trying to bring to the table, they're not in my lives anymore. Right. He still is. And these people were, they weren't um, what I thought at the time. I was like, oh, these are going to be my, my, we're going to go to the, we're going to go to the mm-hmm. end. And these people are nowhere near my atmosphere or my ecosystem at all. And this, he still is. So sometimes it's like people can see certain things that you don't see coming. You know right. what I mean? But he was just setting boundaries. He was like, look, he's like, I appreciate you. I enjoy your company. He's like, but I'm just not trying to work my blood pressure up with, <laughs> with, with, this, with this foolishness over here sometimes too. And I, and I wasn't a wild young adult. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. But around him, I wasn't like wilding out. And we'll probably have him on the podcast too as well because he's he wants to get on and try to roast my ass but anyway um but it was one of those conversations that i recognized that you have to have tough conversations with people within your inner circle sometimes and i know that like if my friends are a reflection of me and if it's something that i know that they drop the ball on I'm going to let them know, like, hey, you mm-hmm. fucked up. You fucked up. Because just like you want me to come up and high-five you when you've done some dope shit, I'm, I, I have to also be the first person up in your ass when you've done some shit if, wrong. If you're really a friend, yeah. you should be able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And the good ones and the bad ones. Yes. As long as they're honest and as long as you're, you're coming at this with the most positive possible intent because of the friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not attacking. You're trying to attack. Um, and I've had good friends that I could have those conversations with, and I've had friends that didn't want that conversation mm-hmm. and would just be like, nope, nope. And sometimes it's, it's, it's cause you see the friendship differently. Some people, they feel like their dynamic is more stable. Some people mm-hmm. feel like the dynamic is more radioactive. Mm-hmm. I've come to also see that sometimes you don't feel like the friendship is competitive, but they see it as a competition. Mm-hmm. And I can only speak for the people that are in my ecosystem now, the close people. Right. I can't, I mean, the people that are in my ecosystem that are close now, there is, I haven't had friend drama in almost 10 years. You know what I mean? Like when I see like the stupid shit that people are dealing with sometimes mm-hmm. and where you're talking about like trust issues or like loyalty, stuff like that. Now you can, if you bring somebody now, I have had friends that are new to the mix and we've had some turbulence. Whoa, not whoa, whoa, whoa. Many, we don't, we don't, we don't do that here. Yeah. We don't do that here, That's not- but it's not, but it's not, but it's, it's not like this ongoing drama Mm -hmm. you know and some of them they'll be on here too i will have a variety of people that i've known for decades and then i'll have people that i've you know that are new to the scene too as well that are new to the circle um but it is one of those things that 
I feel like it goes back to communication. It goes back to respect. It goes back to everyone having a mutual understanding with each other and also having a relatively same goal of trying to like get to the other side of things within mm-hmm. life. If you're so busy dealing with the from from bullshit and you are um, not able to recognize um, the, the, the differences um, in a respectable way and you are more so focused on the, like I said, the toxicity and the radioactiveness of relationships can continue to be that way for people. Right. I feel like we've gone so all over the blanket today. We've like... I don't think we're ever going to have a singular topic. No. Clearly, no. just the way that you and I talk, it's it's going to start somewhere. And then we're both going to have our own little rabbit holes that we go down mm-hmm. and pull the other one with us and mm-hmm. just all over the board. It's that energy. Because, you know, you're a Capricorn, I'm an Aries. Shout out to those people that hate the astrology <laughs> system. I know I'm cringing y'all right Sorry, now. I'm a Capri Sun. <laughs> oh, I know y'all are. Mm, y'all are like this motherfucker. He just said it. He just yeah, said it. He just said it again. He just <laughs> said it again. You know, and just so you know. I'm going to try to figure out every guest sign so I can be like, oh, this is a dope-ass Virgo, or this is a, this is a cool-ass Pisces. But just to get on y'all's nerves again. Just to get on y'all's nerves again. Because life is just short, and sometimes you got to be here for that. So I, uh, I will say I'm not, a, I'm not the hugest believer of the astrology. astrology. Yeah. But uh, I'd rather not date a Scorpio if I had the choice. We're not even going to talk about me and these damn Geminis. We are not, because I could write a Ph. I could write a dissertation. I could earn a PhD in these Geminis. Jesus. Anyway, they know who they are. Any. So, we have a segment that we talked about in our pilot called How I Fucked Myself. Oh, that's right. Which is stories. Are we doing it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I feel like How I Fucked Myself is a lesson to be shared. There's so many different platforms that offer, you know, life lessons. And, of course, this ain't your mama's podcast. So, I fucked myself. Mm -hmm. Are taking either our stories or other people's stories and applying them. Now, I will say, we often, unless we have their permission, we won't reveal names because i don't want to this is not a focus on trying to call people out this is more so trying to teach a lesson to the collective of saying don't stand in your own fucking way Mm -hmm. that's why it's called how i fuck myself because you have no one to blame but yourself (laughs) but yourself so there's this restaurant that's local, a few years back, had great food, great reviews. People were always coming in. People were enjoying themselves. But the owner kept giving his friends and family tons of discounts, comping meals, discount, discount, discounts. And I knew. I said, hey. I knew the owner. I was like, hey. I was like, I see you're giving. I was like, you don't have to give us all discounts. He's like, oh, no, we, you know. So I, I like to take care of my people. 
And eventually, the restaurant started losing money because these people got used to coming in and getting these discounts. When it's cool, maybe the one time that you may come in, but when you have a collective of maybe about 30, 40, 50 people that you're comping meals to. And I bet they're coming in more than once a week. They're coming in more than once a week. And eventually the business closed down. The business didn't close because the person had poor reviews. It's because they were overextending their gratitude Mm -hmm. to the people around them. And the people around them absorbed that way more than they needed to, rather than pouring back into the person's business. So is it a story of how I fuck myself? Yes, because at the end of the day, bro, like you should have at some point been like, you know what, we gotta we gotta dial it back. Well, and the the question that I'm thinking to myself is, is this a lesson of knowing where where your boundaries as a people pleaser are? Mm-hmm. Is this a question of he was not putting his business in the priority zone that it should have been in. Um, did he just not know how to say no to these people mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I've given you four free meals. Like I'm giving you a 15% off family discount, mm-hmm. not comp, but this is the family discount. This is what you get. Mm-hmm. You know, where did, where did he go wrong with that? And what lesson did he learn? I don't know. I know they didn't open up another restaurant after that, which is terrible because the food was good. Hmm. Hmm. A lesson in how I fucked myself. I mean, one of my, you and I have talked about this. One of my life goals is I do want to own uh, a bar and that has crossed my mind. Having worked in the bar industry and having worked in um, food and beverage in general, um, yeah, there there is a point where you can say like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do you a solid," mm-hmm. and that may be like, "Let me, let me take care of the. I'm gonna pay for this, but not all of that." Mm-hmm. You know, somebody screws up a, a meal, a manager might be like, "You know what? I'm gonna take this off your your ticket." I've seen that plenty of times. Um, I've bought people drinks because another bartender screwed their drink up. Um, I cannot imagine. Comping multiple meals over and over and over for people who are, quote unquote, there to support my business, but are in no way supporting my business. I heard a good quote that if you go into business exclusively for your family and friends, you're going to fail. Oh, you don't do business, in my opinion, from every successful person I've talked to and more importantly, the unsuccessful ones. Uh, you don't do business with your family. <laughs> I don't. Sorry. I mean, there might be a partnership that you could work out if the other person is on the exact same page and you say, this is a business, these are our goals, this is where we're going, it is nothing outside of that range. But it's like, I wouldn't loan money to friend, to family. I'll I'll just give you money. Mm-hmm. But I've already learned you can't expect family or friends to pay you back mm. 
certainly not like within the agreed time or whatever. You never know. But if you get if you hand money out, you have to assume you're not going to get it back. Exactly. It's better, I think, to just if I have a family member in need, they need five hundred dollars. They need it tomorrow, and I have five hundred dollars. Instead of saying here, pay me back in two weeks. I I can guarantee you, if they need five hundred dollars today, they're probably not going to have two hundred dollars in two weeks to pay me back. Mm-hmm. So instead of creating a new issue where you're asking for what's owed, they don't have it and they're getting upset, and they then they might be talking behind your back about it to other people. You know, just here, take it. You have five hundred dollars to fuck off right now. Mm-hmm. Go take care of what you need to take care of, mm-hmm. and then the relationship is still intact and there's nothing there to damage it. Mm-hmm. You also have to have the ability to say no. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say no to people sometimes. It's necessary to say no to people sometimes. But I think sometimes people mess up in how they deliver it, sometimes with tact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people can get their egos hurt in the situation. And things can unnecessarily escalate when they believe that they're in the right about something. When they are told no. Does that make sense? It does. So, my... You're not getting a sexy discount with an ego. You're not. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it's really not. It's not. (laughs) It won't. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Not for you, not for people around you, none of that. You know, but people, they, they gas themselves up a lot and they feel like they have something that is superior to others mm-hmm. in a non-credential way. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes people are just walking around with no credentials. I'm like... <laughs> You have no credentials for you to be walking around this energy. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, anyway, that's my two cents. So, what are our lessons for today? We discussed sexy discounts. We discussed relationships. We discussed friendships. I think a common theme of a lot of what we talked about is is just being a genuine human being. Mm, True. Really just honestly putting yourself out there. Being your best person that you can be, mm-hmm. and um, being genuine in all of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Touche. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of the Slip In Podcast with Thomas Massaquai, executive produced by Tyler Lagali. Mm-hmm.